This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of June the 12th, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. The pandemic is officially over. Investment experts say we're now in a bull market and the pace of inflation is easing. What's there left to worry about? Well, more than 40 million people in America are about to take a big financial hit, and it could have such serious repercussions on the economy that we could find ourselves back in at least a mini-recession. I suspect that this is an issue that will hit close to home for a lot of IBJ subscribers and their families. The 44 million folks I referenced are people who have federal student loan debt. They collectively owe about $1.6 trillion, making the average federal student loan debt balance about $37,000. Federal student loan borrowers haven't been required to make payments since March 2020 due to the economic stresses of the pandemic. But the grace period is almost over. Borrowers will be required to either begin or continue making payments in September. The average student loan payment is between $200 and $300 a month, although the actual figures can vary significantly. For recent graduates, carving $300 in expenses out of your monthly budget can be a big ask. Education officials have predicted that there could be historic levels of federal student loan delinquency and defaults. The companies that service these loans for the federal government also are in a tough position, restarting the machinery after years of inactivity or taking on millions of customers for the first time. In fact, it's estimated that 16 million borrowers will have a different company to deal with by the time payments resume. IBJ personal finance columnist Pete the Planner has been looking into the possible ramifications of this big shift for a sizable chunk of the country. In this week's edition of the podcast, he has advice for borrowers and their families to help prepare for the upcoming tumult, as well as some friendly warnings about the possible economic side effects. Here's our conversation. It's my pleasure, as always, to welcome back to the podcast, Peter Dunn, a.k.a. Pete the Planner. Pete, how is your summer going? Uh, so far, so good. A lot of youth soccer, a lot of SPF long sleeve t-shirts for a fair-skinned gentleman. Uh, so it's good. Good, good. Remind me of the ages of your kids. 14 and 11, the okay. prime years to, oh, I don't know, go to soccer games. Now, since you are uh, Pete the Planner, I assume that you are all set and I'm ready to finance their college educations. Actually, yes. Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, I, I've thought about it since they de- the day they were born. I, As we were holding our son for the first time uh, some 11 years ago, I mentioned the cost of a private education to my wife and later found out that was not the appropriate moment to do so. <laughs> but you live and you learn. And since we didn't have a third child, that lesson sort of died on the vine there. Um, but yes, I am prepared. If you don't mind me prying, is that going to also include um, taking out student loans or can you just no. slap cash on the barrel line? No, no. So I've been saving into a college fund and then we scheduled for our mortgage to be paid off before the kids go to school so we can add, put that additional cash flow back into the plan. So that is the current strategy. It is on track. It is lovely. And I'm knocking on wood that it does not break between now and then. Okay. And we have obviously spoken several times in the past about financing college education. 
uh, and saving for college education. And yet there are still, I mean, upwards of 40 million people who uh, currently owe money uh, on their federal student loans. And my understanding is since March, 2020, the borrowers of federal student loans entered a grace period on payments and interest that has lasted for more than three years, but that pause is scheduled to end by the beginning of September. Is that correct? Yes, technically 60 days after June 30th, which is there anything more comforting when the government comes out with an edict that says 60 days after June 30th, just say August 29th, y'all. That's all you (laughs) got to say. It's not like save the words. August 29th are, are when student loan payments are due again for the first time in what will be, I believe, 41 months, uh, yeah. which, which is pretty wild. Yeah. The federal government always wants you to do your own math. They do. It's like taxes. It's like, hey, you owe us, but you guess on how much you owe us. And <laughs> right. yeah, we'll throw you in jail if you guess wrong. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. Now, there's a caveat in all this. The Supreme Court of the United States is expected to make a ruling this month on whether President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan can go forward. Now, that plan could cancel up to $20,000 in student debt for tens of millions of people. Uh, But we should note that legal experts are very skeptical that the student loan forgiveness plan will survive the challenge. And in any event, there still are many, many millions of people who will owe money. Yeah, the repayment's going to start August 29th, no matter what. Uh, You could have some forgiveness before then. And and the $20,000 is if you had Pell Grants, for everyone else, it's ten thousand, and uh, I'm not in the prediction biz, but there's no way this is going through at this point. Um, not happening. So uh, you're going to see repayments start August 29th, uh, or the first invoices, the bills going out. And Mason, I'm here to tell you today, in the spirit of not making predictions, it's going to make for a pretty nasty fall. I- I'm I'm particularly concerned uh, about student loan borrowers people who have never made a student loan payment. Think about this. If you graduated college in May of 2020, you have now been in the workforce for three years. You've set your lifestyle. You rented your apartment. You at least your car. You're doing all these things. Oh, by the way, your payments are now due 39 months after you graduated. And so that is, that's a little bit terrifying. So I'd love to walk you through what this might look like, what industry I'm particularly concerned about, and how this will impact employers. Because I think not only will this lead to a micro-recession, I think this will also lead to a lot of productivity, turnover issues for employers, and and healthcare claims for employers. Because there's, there's a direct tie between financial stress and healthcare claims. And so it's going to be a, a, a tumultuous, a turbulent, try to think of another T word, uh, fall. I've I've heard the uh, word chaotic used uh, several times uh, in my research for this, and I'll tell you something. I, you have trained me so well. The first thought that I had uh, when I really started addressing this was thinking there are going to be so many people, as you said, who have already established their lifestyles. So many recent college graduates, without you know several hundred dollars a month, maybe more than a thousand dollars a month in payments built into that lifestyle. And it is going to be a rude awakening, but please um, go ahead and and, and walk me through your thoughts. So the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau this week put out an interesting piece that talks about who's most susceptible to these challenges and, and what are we really looking at? 
And what's interesting is they, they talk about who is already in distress, who, who is likely to have delinquencies or default and these sorts of things. And for me, as I look at them, they don't even take into account, Mason, inflation, which I believe to be the biggest culprit in all of this. So here are the five five factors that make someone a risk for default this fall, according uh, to this organization. Number one, if someone prior to the pandemic had delinquencies on their student loans, that is uh, a radio box number one. If it is checked, then they are a challenge to meet the repayment requirements. Number two, pre-pandemic payment assistance on student loans. If they were seeking assistance in any way, any changes to their payment frequency or, or amount, that's an issue. It's a red flag. Number three, multiple student loan servicers. Now, this is interesting because this just really speaks to how easy it is to get disorganized and confused around repaying your student loans. Mason, have you ever had your mortgage sold? Have you ever had a mortgage sold? I have twice. Yeah, confusion, right? You're like, okay, what's this? What's my login? Who do I owe? You get the tax form at the end of the year. You're like, I'm pretty sure this is trash, but it's not trash. And so imagine you, a man of, shall we say, middle age, dealing with that situation, whereas you got a 22-year-old, 23-year-old with multiple student loan servicers. That's confusing. Can I back up real quick? Because yeah. you're talking about the people prior to the pandemic who already were experiencing problems with repayment. Um, I came across an interesting stat indicating really the federal student loan system was in crisis well before the pandemic. Only about half of the borrowers were in repayment, like regular repayment and in 2019. Around 25% or more than 10 million people were in delinquency or default at that point. And the rest had applied for relief measures for struggling borrowers like deferments and forbearances. So that's like 50% of the people that you covered in those first two points. Absolutely. And again, without saying, I think the Biden student loan forgiveness plan's a good idea or not, with what you just said, you can hear the justification for it. Yeah. Right. Now there's arguments against it, but that is the justification for it. But here, here are the other factors. Uh, delinquencies on other credit products since the start of the pandemic. So that's another risk factor. If you're defaulting on credit cards or a car loan or mortgage, you are at risk. And finally, uh, new non-medical collections during the pandemic. So those are the five high-risk areas. And what the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, is saying is that more than one in 13 student loan borrowers, one in 13 student loan borrowers, are already behind on other obligations. And they believe that 20% of borrowers are suffering from those five factors I just gave you right now. So they're saying one in five people will be in absolute chaos in the fall. And they didn't even mention inflation, which I think is the biggest issue. And I think it could take another 40% of these people into distress. You mentioned um, the servicers, and this was something that, that occurred to me. I mean, these are the companies that, even though these are federal loans, that they're the ones who service the loans. And there are a number of companies that do that. So I'm trying to imagine all of the folks who are going to jump back into the repayment system, plus all of the folks who receive student loans uh, since the three-year grace period started, 
all of these people jumping back into the pool at the same time. Oh. I can only imagine that the student loan servicers, who, you know, for better of a lack of a term, are maybe a little bit rusty at this, uh, and a few of which have gotten out you know, since the grace period started, uh, are going to be inundated uh, with so many, so much paperwork and, and having to keep track of so many people, again, you know, more than 40 million people, uh, that there are bound to be a, a huge amount of people that get somehow stuck in a crack somewhere. So here's what I know about your listeners, Mason, is that on Monday, when people consume this discussion for their ears, there's going to be a large number of people that send a text message to their young adult children that say, you need to get a hold of your loan servicer immediately because I heard on Mason's podcast that there's going to be a massive backlog in the fall and you're going to be in big trouble. And that's exactly what I want them to do. I want one of the big takeaways from our discussion today to be pester your children or if it's you yourself, act now. And look, what you might get is them saying, I don't know which is completely possible, but you'll get your login. You'll get your account number. You'll get some level of structure. And here's the weird thing about all of this. The Biden administration has accounted for the fact that there will be chaos in the uh, fall. And so they've added, or they're trying to add seven new provisions to make this easier. Some of them I personally think will work, and some of them are really weird. And I don't think they really help, including the one that is just really strange to me. If anyone will have made a payment over the 41-month period of which you didn't have to make a payment, the first action you can take, Mason, is to get a refund of that payment. What? Why? Yeah. <laughs> well, right. Why? Because what they're saying is someone's going to be in financial distress and they're going to need money. So the best way to deal with that is to take the money back out of what they've paid and then they'll have another obligation to pay it. It makes no sense to me. Now, I'm sure there's nuance, which I'm oversimplifying, but that makes no sense to me. Yeah. If during the pandemic, you had the wherewithal to continue making payments on your student loans, are you really somebody who is in danger now of having financial trouble? No, but I, I would I would suggest that there was probably three to four month period at the beginning of this disaster, which would have March 13th of 2020 is when this all set off. So I would say there's people in the first three to four months that kept making payments that didn't change their automatic payment. And so if they wanted to go get it, they could, which I think is just silly. You know, sometimes as a, as a former financial planner, someone would tell you their idea of what they were hoping to accomplish. And you could certainly facilitate what they were trying to accomplish, but it didn't make what they were trying to accomplish a good idea. And I think this is the perfect example of, wow, this is a terrible idea. And yes, the government gives you a means to make that decision. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm, with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. Okay. 
All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast and my conversation with Pete the Planner about the resumption of federal student loan payments. So I know education department officials have predicted that there could be a historically large increase in the amount of federal student loan delinquency and defaults. Uh, so what does that mean for those people? And then what does it mean for the overall economy? Well, the, the nature of default is someone is not paying something. So therefore, their their normal financial decisions will remain, right? They, they, they will continue not making their payments. This will impact their credit, though, right? So you haven't had to make a payment for these some 41 months come August 29th, or as we like to call it in the biz, 60 days from June 30th. Uh, so so that hasn't impacted people's credit. And then there will be a period, potentially even up to six months of grace as this re-enters into our lives. Then there will be an impact on people's credit. So that could impact how people are able to rent apartments, to buy cars. It will have an impact on their car insurance and, and renters and homeowners insurance rates. So this is there's going to be the cash flow economic impact in the fall. There's going to be the secondary impact about a year later as it relates to people's ability to make big purchases. Gotcha. You know, we were we were talking earlier about the the loan servicer, and I think an interesting stat is that forty percent of people about to start repayment will do so with a new servicer. Okay, so we're not even talking necessarily about the the recent grads. We're talking about everyone because there's a bunch of a change in who services these things during when no one was paying 40 percent of people will have a new servicer that is uh our example earlier where uh, hey someone buys your mortgage or whatever and that's confusing 40 percent of people are going to be going through that and so that's why we want you to take action in the next couple of weeks to figure out who your servicer is and come to terms with what your obligations are one of the other things that, that occurred to me uh, was an experience that I had after grad school. And and I can't remember if my servicer changed or not, but I got an email out of the blue from somebody saying, hey, I know you have a student loan. Would you be interested in refinancing at such and such rate? Um, and it sounded like a good deal to me because it was a lower rate. And so I refinanced uh, to that to that rate. And that was probably one of a thousand emails I probably received, you know, in the in the couple of years after grad school. But I finally fell for it. And what happened uh, was just in my personal situation is I probably ended up paying more because the loan reset at 10 years, even though it was a lower rate. Uh, so dumb mistake on my part, lesson learned. But it, it seems like there's going to be a lot of opportunity, you know, for I, I'm not going to call these people grifters or, or charlatans but for people to come in and take advantage of the confusion. So I'm going to choose my words carefully here because one of the organizations that loves to offer refinance happens to be particularly litigious. So I'm not interested in that. I'm too busy to be sued. Uh, but I will note there, there, there is a company suing the federal government over this, this 41-month grace period because they can't go market refinance loans to the general public. So they're saying what they do for a living is not possible to get people out of federal loans and into these private loans. And that is that is unfair. Now, I am, of course, not an attorney. 
So I have no idea whether that's true or not, but you are right. There, there are entire businesses that move people from federal loans to private loans. Sometimes they make sense. Sometimes they don't, but your prediction, Mason, is incredibly right. That will become a big, big thing. I think you're going to see a lot of fintech, financial technology companies pop up around student loans uh, in the next 18 months or so. Now, from the perspective of, of the borrowers, speaking to them as, as a financial advisor or a planner, how can they get ready to start making their payments again? All right. So here's... Pete the Planner's three-step plan. I hope there's only three steps. I just said that. Okay, so now I've got to condense this into three steps. Step one, contact your servicer. Figure out who it is and figure out what your payment is going to be. That should take you no more than an hour and I and, and 58 minutes of that's hold time. Okay, so I'm just being honest. Like I'm into transparency this summer. It's transparency summer and it's not just because I'm fair-skinned. All right. I was about ready to say, it's not just because yeah. you have translucent skin. No, it's true. It's true. All right. So uh, figure out how much you owe. And then step two, start saving that exact payment amount over the next, well, close to 60 days. Uh, for the next couple of months, save that exact payment amount in your savings account to exercise the muscle that is that amount of money leaving your life. But it's, it's just going to your savings account. So there's like a safety barrier there. And step three, 60 days after June 30th or August 29th, then just transition that payment you've been making to yourself onto the plan. So it's the it's the best way to do this. And uh, I think people should start that immediately. But Pete uh, says, recent graduate, I was going to go to Paris this summer. Well, say au revoir to those plans. <laughs> no. Um, no, I I feel you. Like that's why this is why this is so difficult. There was a a microcosm of this same concept uh, in July fifteenth of twenty twenty one through December fifteenth of twenty twenty one. There was the advanced child tax credit payments that were getting deposited into people's accounts. So instead of not having a payment due for forty one months, what the government did was they made deposits to people's accounts for six months. So it's a different type of dependency creation like on either side, like taking away an expense versus giving income. And that had terrible effects. You you could argue that that led to the economy slowing down as much as anything because you pulled that money back out of people's uh, lives. Now, something we haven't even talked about yet here today that actually scares me more than anything are the particular industries that are going to be the most impacted by this. I think pay through 12 schools will be in will will have the biggest impact of, by what's happening this fall for some very specific reasons. Number 1, any educator that has started their career after March 13th of 2020 will have never made a student loan payment. We all know teachers uh, we know teacher pay, we can all have our thoughts around teacher pay, but there's not big spikes in teacher pay. Okay, right there, the nominal increases, respectfully. That is to say, all of these teachers, three years worth of teachers, actually, and this will be the fourth year. So the people that started in 2020, people started in 2021, 2022, and now 2023 will have never made a student loan payment. And so if you think about how hiring works and how hard it is to attract and retain educators right now, you're talking about a significant number of people within any school building 
who are going to be financially distressed come August 29th. And that's terrifying to me because the biggest issue in education right now is attraction and retention of teachers. And the problem is, Mason, when there's economic uncertainty, then then these educators who love teaching and love helping families in their community, they will say, this isn't worth it. I'm going to leave the profession. That scares me so much. And I mean that. I, I There's a crisis in education of trying to keep teachers. And this is the thing that could send and tip that over the edge. Now, if you legitimately have trouble making payments, I mean, there are avenues to get some sort of uh, grace, if that's the right word. Uh, am I right? I mean, there are ways that you can, uh, is, it, is it forbearance or is it you can somehow delay or you can change the amount that you pay based on your income? Yeah. So income driven repayments, IDRs uh, are a very common thing. And the options around that are going to theoretically improve. That's one of the flexibilities that the Biden administration is trying to put in. And without sounding like an old guy, even though I'm an old guy, that is kicking the can down the road. Right. And and it still illustrates my point specifically around education of at some point in time, someone just throws their hand up and says or hands up and says, I, 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 wanna, I don't want to keep kicking the can down the road. I got to go find more income. And, and so that's that's my fear is that every one of these provisions, uh, relief points, I think, as the government calls them, they, they induce tough decisions later. So it's either now or later, you got to make the tough decision. And so that's why I'd want people to take action like now, you know, so that, that we can put a plan in place. If you, I mean, you know how this works. I'll make up a number here. 65% of people totally made up will wait until September to figure this out. And that's a problem. You know, something that you mentioned before, I just want to underline because I hadn't thought about this either. We're going to have 40 plus million people who will, I mean, potentially will be spending $500 less a month. I mean, putting $500 less a month into, uh, you know, general economic purchases, buying services, buying food, uh, going to restaurants, what have you. That sounds like the recipe for a real economic slowdown. Yeah. And uh, heading into the holiday season too, right? Yeah. I, I think the, the fourth quarter is going to be nasty. The weird thing is, we just officially this week, oh, hey, we didn't even celebrate. Where are your streamers and balloons? It's a bull market. Yeah, yeah, we're in a bull market. Stock market's in a bull hey, market. Hey, you'll be proud of me. I didn't I didn't check my retirement balance. I said, Good. that's okay. Good I, I'm in it for the long haul. I don't trust you to not do that immediately upon us completing our, our podcast today. I don't I remember you're... the password. <laughs> Good. That's the way to do it. Uh, I've got it for you. I'll send it to you. I, uh, I, think, I, I have no really no financial relationship with Pete the Planner, by the way. That is true. That is true. That's why you're doing so well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do think even though the market's doing well, like it is a bull market, which is just wild to say, I think the fourth quarter, you're going to have a recession. If you think about March, April, and May of 2020, we all voluntarily kind of uh, changed our spending habits by about 500 bucks a month. We were terrified. All we were buying was groceries and wipes. I mean, that's all anyone was buying in the spring of 2020. So it's going to be a similar impact for 40 million borrowers come the fall. You got to think that tightens the economy. Yeah. If you have stock in beans and rice, I think uh, you might be one of the few people that makes it through. Possibly. 
Well, great. I, I always come out of these uh, discussions uh, fearing for my financial life, and I appreciate it. Well, no, you're fine. I, I think, again, take action. What ta- Please, because if you're listening to this right now, it either applies to you or it applies to someone you know and love. And if they become part of the masses in August and September, they will regret it. And you can just forward the podcast. Make this the most listened to episode in the history of the IBJ podcast. Some 250 episodes. And this is going to be number one because you forwarded it on. How was that? Was that pretty good? Okay. I'm just going to copy this verbatim into the description of the podcast. Beautiful. So again, the, the big takeaway for sure is get in touch with your provider and or your loan servicer and get ready to squirrel away that money every month. That is, that is the advice. That is the advice. Um, and just, it's going to be a, a pretty nutty fall. Uh, it just, for, probably for a lot of reasons, based on what's going on culturally here in these United States uh, with current events and everything. Uh, but this one's uh, uh, something that that actually both President Trump and President Biden contributed to by by pr- pressing pause on this. If we're, you want to be, uh, if you want to be right down the middle of the aisle. Both of the last two presidencies have contributed to this moment we're at right now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, the, the pause was initiated by Trump and then prolonged by Biden. So, yeah, prolonged by Trump and then prolonged by Biden. Yeah, there you go. Well, thank you. <laughs> oh, it was it was my pleasure. <laughs> yes, uh, let's let's we'll check back in here in about uh, <laughs> sixty days. <laughs> yeah, August 29th. I'll talk. What day is what day is that again? Okay, I don't know. We'll have to see. Is it a Monday or something? Well, August 29th, we're, we're, we'll, we'll book it. That seems that seems about right. Okay, pal. Well, I appreciate all your help and hope you have a great summer. Thanks, Mason. My thanks again to Pete Dunn. A quick reminder, his column on personal finance appears regularly in the print edition of IBJ. And you can find several years worth of his work at IBJ.com. And before you get on with the rest of your week... There are a few stories in the latest print edition of IBJ I want to point out. First up, community leaders and volunteers are working to turn a site that was once a swimming hole for black Indianapolis residents into a year-round destination for the Hallville area. Taylor Wooten reveals plans for Belmont Beach. Also in this week's issue, Mickey Shuey examines why the city's pro sports franchises invest heavily in local youth recreation programs. And John Russell outlines the battle plan for Eli Lilly and company as it pushes hard to get a sales edge on other drug makers in the war against metastatic breast cancer. And again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at IBJ.com. I will say that it is easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on Central Indiana's business community and economy if you are a subscriber. And you might not know that we have wrapped all of IBJ's content together with all of the stories, columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business. And now it works out to about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. You won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. 
And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week. <laughs>